Welcome to On Target, the podcast helping software sales leaders drive more pipeline and close transformational deals. I'm your host, Alex Elaine. Let's get into it. The more your brain gets conditioned to being comfortable in uncomfortable situations, that inherently builds a more resilient mindset. And so you always want to look at things that make you either a little bit scared, a bit uneasy, a bit on the edge of your seat, walk towards those things, do them. You just got to tackle them and that will, again, recondition the way that your brain starts to think, act and operate. Welcome to this week's edition of On Target. Alex Elaine here and really excited to welcome you to a new format that we're going to be experimenting with. This is the community Q&A. And a big part of the reason that I wanted to try out this format is really to get to know all of you that bit better. Uh, I put out a poll pretty recently on LinkedIn, asked you for some of your main questions. We got a good, nice spectrum of them. And today we're going to dive right in and tackle them one by one. We're going to start off tactical and then we're going to start to transition more so into habits and routines centered around operational excellence. So let's not waste any more time and dive right in. So the first question is from O'Shea Calloway. And the question says, as you probably know, discovery is important throughout the sales cycle. How would you go about ensuring you have maximum information and key decision makers before a demonstration for enterprise accounts? Really interesting one there, O'Shea. So first of all, completely agree that discovery is the most fundamental part of the sales cycle. When you do a great job there, it makes the rest of the funnel flow much more smoothly. And if you have a challenge in discovery call, you're always just playing catch up and running the race from behind. So it's good that you are also aligned around the importance there. In terms of maximizing the amount of information you get, one of the biggest gaps that I see from sellers and people in the, out in the field is that they don't take enough time to set a really clearly defined agenda up front and set great context up front behind why you're set to have that discovery meeting and the type of information that you're going to want to extract from that meeting as well. And so there's a big difference between going on to a discovery and just diving right into a set of questions versus saying, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, great to be here. The reason that we're here right now is because I need to want to take some time to learn and share and unpack more about you and your organization, some of your growth aspirations, so we can get a better feel for your current state versus your potential future state with our solution in place. And so just by doing something of that nature, you set a standard and then it opens the door to be able to say, I am going to be asking you some questions, some that are going to be about your company, some about your future growth plan. So I just wanted to set that standard to let you know what these conversations typically look like. Are you guys happy to proceed on that basis? And again, those types of sentences combined put you in a position where you get really access and permission to be able to go and ask questions, get more information, but you've also given them context behind why that is important in the first place. And the same principle applies agnostic of what decision makers you have on the call. You can also take the time to make sure you've done a little bit of research and make some assumptions where you can say, I've heard or learned or read about these things within your organization for X, Y, or Z different stakeholders on the call. I'd love to unpack how much of this is true, accurate versus otherwise. So those are just a few freestyle different ways that you could potentially consider diving into a discovery call. 
The next question is from Oliver Tiranika. The question is, in your opinion, what's the key difference between first and second line management in terms of the skill set? The primary difference, certainly from my experience, is that when you're first line, you are still very much so in the field. So in many cases, you are accompanying your field teams, you're actually on customer calls, you're on the front line doing deal coaching, and you're very much in the trenches. There's still an aspect at times of being a, a hybrid seller because of the depth and the amount of time you need to spend in the field with your team, actually helping them to grow, get better and improve. Whereas when you make the transition to second line, really your job is about empowering and enabling leaders. And it's a very different skill set from the need to go and empower field teams directly. And so you're trying to encourage and create and foster an environment where your leadership team can go and do their best work. So you tend to spend less time in the field and on the front line definitively with customers, but more time actually uh, doing more strategic work, planning out territories, making sure that your leadership team are both mentally, professionally and personally in a good position to continue to operate at a high level and having more strategic conversations also with other teams and departments within the business and the org to actually make sure that you guys and, and your department and your team continues to be on the front line and it has a good level of investment from the company moving forward. And so the main shift is that difference between being again in the trenches on the front line versus zooming out, doing more of the strategic and cross-departmental work. So as we move into the next segment, we're now going to transition into more of the operational and habit and routine-based questions. So the first one on this particular segment comes from Omar Chatter. First of all, Omar, really appreciate you taking the time to ask a question. And your question is, how do you create effective routines and structures both for yourself and your team and how to make the team follow these routines and structures Omar, I love the question. I anticipate you're probably going through this yourself. It's something that I experienced on many occasions as well and still do today. So let's dive right into it. So I think the first thing to consider here is the consideration around what we call SOPs, so standard operating procedures. And these, you can really take them as granular as you want to or have them a little bit more zoomed out. But what you really want to do is think about the outcomes and the outputs that you want to drive for your team or that you know you and your team are working towards. Think of some of your KPIs, for example, and then think about how you can create what we call standard operating procedures around these things, which is really a step-by-step -step blueprint around how someone can go about achieving that outcome as long as they do the set inputs that you create in this what we call SOP. And by doing that, the reason it can be really powerful, especially when you're thinking about routine and just overall structure for your team, is because it works backwards from the outcome first. And so in essence, what you're showing them is if you want to get to this outcome, these are the inputs required in this particular manner, in this particular timeline. So it gives them both the context and the structure and gives them a sense of a routine. And then you can stack these SOPs on top of each other to say, hey, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Employee, whoever's on your team, you know, here are the SOPs that you need to execute on today. Here's the three or here's the five. And that immediately gives them color context around the output, as well as a step-by-step run-through for the things that they need to do. 
Uh, SOPs can be delivered in, in videos, they can be documents, they can be a combination of both. So figure out what works best for you and your team and then bring those things together, stack rank them, and then that gives you an operating system for your day. Love the question once again, Omar. Moving on to the next one from Natasha Odoyemi. The question is, is it best to maintain one routine or do you suggest we regularly change up our routine and how often? This is a really interesting one, Natasha. Again, grateful for you asking this because something that a lot of the time we don't really think about enough, right? You can have a routine in your life, but should we be changing it up? Should we be refreshing it? I love the way that you're thinking about this. For me, what I would say is that you should certainly have one routine for an extended period of time. And the reason I say that is one of the big missing ingredients of this particular era is just focus and consistency. Focus and consistency over an extended period, because if you don't deliver on a routine for a long enough period of time, you're not going to collect enough data for you to create a baseline of excellence or for you to understand more about is it time to move on or is it not time to move on because you just haven't collected enough data. If you've done one routine for three months versus one week, think about it. If you've done it for three months, you've got a really great rich data set to say, having done this thing and this particular routine for three months in this way, this is the result that I get. So now let me try and tweak X, Y, and Z for another three months and see what the results that I can get. Now, I'm not saying three months is necessarily the holy grail. It really depends on what the routine is based around. For example, very recently, I started to do calisthenics, which is moving away from lifting weights into more so body weight type of exercises. And the progression path takes a long time. So if I just did one routine for two weeks and if it didn't work, moved on, I wouldn't get any results. So three months is a pretty good timeline to have one focal routine for something like that. But maybe you're A-B testing a particular email sequence, for example. Three months in that case is probably slightly more extensive. And so you've got to look at the thing that you are seeking to optimize and unpack whether actually a longer time horizon or a shorter one would be more effective. But the point is make sure you give it enough time so that you've demonstrated focus and consistency over an extended period so you have enough data to create a baseline of what excellence looks like. Next question is from Lizianne Endong. The question is, how can you be more resilient with your mindset? Very short, sharp, precise, but again, I, I love this topic. And Lizianne, if you've been listening to a lot of my content, and I absolutely know that you have, uh, you'll know that I get really passionate about just the premise of being resilient. The best thing I can say on this is to consistently put yourself in uncomfortable situations, consistently put yourself in scenarios that make you feel uneasy and walk towards them. A really simple way I tell people to get started with this is a cold shower every morning, because by doing that, your body and your mind is typically screaming out, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. This doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel safe. But when you get through it, it's a quick early win in the day and it starts to recondition your brain over time to get more comfortable in difficult situations. And you'll be amazed that when you then go to work or you have a situation that may feel stressful or difficult to tackle, the more your brain gets conditioned to being comfortable in uncomfortable situations, that inherently builds a more resilient mindset. And so you always want to look at things that make you either a little bit scared, a bit uneasy, a bit on the edge of your seat, walk towards those things 
do them. You're right? You just got to tackle them. And that will, again, recondition the way that your brain starts to think, act, and operate. Really love that question. Really love that topic, Lizianne. So thank you so much for doing that once again. This has been really enjoyable episode. There's actually more questions that came through on LinkedIn. So we're going to package those up and tackle them on a future episode. I'd love to know your thoughts and how you actually found this format. Was it helpful? Was it useful? If so, please drop me a message on LinkedIn. Let me know what you thought. Let me know what you'd like to see more or less of. And also continue to submit your questions. I'll be asking for them on LinkedIn, but also feel empowered to direct message me as well. And we'll make sure we package those up for a future episode. I hope that you've enjoyed it this week and I look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Never miss a tactic or actionable insight by subscribing to On Target wherever you get your podcasts. And if you gain value from the show, I would love it if you could share it with a friend and give us a five-star review. See you next time.